This is Cinema Degeneration. I am the devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. I, I just can't take no pleasure in killing that. Just some things you gotta do. We all go a little mad sometimes. You wanna know what happens to an eyeball when it gets punctured? You just can't let them go? Go! Hi, I'm Chucky, wanna play? <laughs> Please, God. This is God. The dead will walk here. I'm just gonna bash your brains. Your suffering will be legendary even in hell. <laughs> it's alive, it's alive, it's alive. They all flow down here. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Boy, you're doomed. You're doomed. On our show tonight, sequel to Deja Vu, our hosts celebrate the time-honored tradition of movie sequels including the good, the bad, and the very ugly. From diabolical killers who won't stay in the grave, to science fiction epics whose stories cannot be contained, to a single chapter, and so much more. Join us for the tales you love, and some that you won't believe got made in the first place. Who are you? Ripley Ellen, Lieutenant First Class. Ellen Ripley died 200 years ago. You're not her. Who am I? To destroy a species that lives to kill. I can feel it. In my eyes, I can hear it moving. You need a weapon that never dies. Something of a predator, isn't she? Sigourney Weaver, Winona Ryder. Alien Resurrection. I thought you were dead. Yeah, I get that a lot. Rated R, Wednesday only in theaters. Alrighty, folks, welcome once again to Cinema Degeneration's sequel to Deja Vu, where our theme is sequels, sequels, and more sequels. Sometimes we may do a prequel, we may do even a remake, but not today. Today we're doing our first uh, part four, our first chapter four of uh, on sequel to Deja Vu with 1997's Alien Resurrection. And my co-host uh, this afternoon is Tony Walters of Rad Entertainment. How are we doing? Oh, I'm doing pretty good, man. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, as I said, it's been a, a long time coming since we did our our, <laughs> our last one, and this one, uh, you know, is an equally big franchise as the Terminator franchise. But I, I would, I would risk to say that the Alien Resurrection is not quite of the caliber of Terminator Two: Judgment Day. Definitely not. <laughs> You know, I, I think there's a, a steep drop off of quality, and maybe you'll you agree or disagree with me on this. A- after Aliens, after the second Alien movie, there's just a steep drop off in quality. Well, similar to that of the Terminator franchise, you know, after you know the first two movies are great, and then the rest of it's you know, you know, hit or miss. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Mostly missed, but a Mostly few hits. And, and and I do like Alien Resurrection. I, I like it a lot more than I do Alien 3. Uh, Alien 3 is just so goddamn bleak and dark. And what it did to certain characters, you know, after, you know, a powerhouse of uh, aliens. Right. It just it just kind of wrote all those all those characters off that we love so much. And it was just, it felt like, like in a slasher movie, if you see anybody come back. 
in a you know a sequel to a slasher, you can almost guarantee that they're not going to make it. But yeah, yeah, yes, Alien Resurrection, a little bit. Um, I always call it misleveled, or it's just uh, it doesn't quite ride the line of uh, sci-fi horror and kind of action comedy, even at, at times, because there's a lot of really weird humor in this one. Yeah, and I, that's because this one is written by Joss Whedon. Yeah, yeah, and it shows. It definitely shows. And then, like, the fact that this is the one movie of his that he's kind of, he, uh, you know, doesn't lay any claim to because he said that they bastardized his script and didn't use half of what they, you know, he had written. It makes me wonder what that original script was like. And yeah. I'm not, not that I'm the hugest fan of, of Josh Whedon. I don't, you know, all personal things aside, I'm, I'm not. Yeah, he's just kind of is. He's he's not my favorite, and he's not my least favorite, but I, I've forgotten about the fact that he had uh, written this movie before I started di- diving into it again. It had been, I bet you, a better part of a decade before, uh, since the, well, since the last time I had seen this one. This is not one that I revisit a lot, although I do, like I said, like it a lot more than I do part three. But let's yeah. go ahead. Go ahead and give the quick IMDb synopsis, which is as follows. 200 years after her death, Ellen Ripley is revived as a powerful human-alien hybrid clone. Along with a crew of space pirates, she must begin to battle the deadly aliens and stop them from reaching Earth. Yep, that's fair. That's pr- pr- pretty fair. But it's, it's very much a... It's it's a weird mixture of sci-fi and horror and action. I just felt like they didn't they didn't commit to any one specific genre. If that makes sense. Yeah, and I think it, you know it goes back to it goes back to Joss Whedon a little bit in the writing, uh, only because this movie's like you know it's like Firefly. Uh, it, it it really I mean it, at its core it is. I mean it's like just a band of space pirates and you know. <clears throat> this could easily have been an episode of of uh, of Firefly where, you know, the crew, you know, docks on yeah. a ship that has an alien like outbreak thing and they have to handle it. And then they, you know, they go on their merry way at the end of the episode. But like, you know, just take that concept, make it rated R and, you know, just give it some bad language. But I mean, it's this movie's a product of its time. It's, you know, it's late 90s. So I. Uh, yeah, has a lot of that uh, late '90s uh, CGI that works really, really well in some spots, and really, really doesn't in a lot of others. Right, and, but I mean, in the late '90s, you know, every movie had a basketball scene. <laughs> yeah, what was up with that? Even Escape from LA, you know, it's like, what, what is it with our hero playing basketball? Because basketball was huge in the late '90s. It was so big. Michael Jordan was at the top of his game. Freaking, you know, Space Jam. Like basketball was huge. So they put yep. in everything. Yeah, I, I think as I do kind of like the basketball sequence in this, just because it gives Sigourney Weaver a chance to one up on Ron Perlman, who is just <laughs> right. a badass in his own right. You know, I mean, it's it's Ellen Ripley versus Hellboy at this point, and the <laughs> the kind of overly sexual tension that's between the two of them throughout the whole the whole uh, sequence is it is pretty comical. It it is, but uh, yeah, I mean, this movie does have a pretty great eclectic uh, supporting cast. We've got Winona Ryder as Call, Ron Perlman as Johnner, Michael Wincott, who would uh, you know from The Crow and many others, you know, as Elgin, Dan Hedaya, as General Perez, my, and one of my favorites, Brad Dorf as Gediman. 
who I think is like severely underused in this. And I had totally forgot about like, you know, there's the the sequence towards the the first, uh, you know, the end of the first act where Gediman gets dragged into the the hole that the alien blood had made. I was just like, well, that's it. That's the end of uh, Brad Dorf. And then I forgot that he shows back up just to be some, you know, cannon fodder later on. Right. <laughs> and in an extremely creepy scene. There are a lot of creepy elements to this. It plays off more. It's a little bit more like the original Alien than the the sequel Aliens because I mean let's face it this the second one by James Cameron was just an action extravaganza. This one rides that fine line of being horror, kind of body horror ish, you know, especially when they get to the alien human hybrid towards the end. Right, and you know, and that comes from I think more from the director, uh, kind of giving it that that tone. Um, it's you know, I'm gonna I'll butcher his name right with. <laughs> oh, don't worry, I'll, I'll probably butcher it myself. John Pierre, um, Jeanette. That sounds about right. Sure. Uh, yeah, French director. You know, uh, you know, uh, done some, you know, some, some weirder things on his on his, uh, you know, credit list. Um, but. Yeah. Delicatessen is really good. City of Lost Children is a little weird, but I, I do like both of those. You know, maybe a weird choice uh, to take the guy from the City of Lost Children to do uh, to do this. I mean, but I mean, I guess that makes sense to why Ron Perlman's in it. But. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he did tend to use Ron Perlman quite a bit, and this would be his only like like legit Hollywood film, and. He did it and swore off of making any other Hollywood movies afterwards. And after hearing of some of the behind-the-scenes fiascos, I can kind of understand why a little bit. You know, it just seemed like nobody could have was in any kind of agreement of what this movie should be. Right, I, think, I mean, it's the same problem that happened with the third one. Because the third one is the same thing. It was a lot of studio involvement. The third one's a weird movie because it, the script, <clears throat> the script for the third one, was actually a spinoff Star Wars script that they took and and rehashed uh, to make work in the Alien franchise. And Sigourney Weaver was, you know, at the top of her game and and pulled a you know uh, threw her weight around a lot. Like they weren't allowed to use any guns in the third one because she was this you know anti gun activist. And <laughs> uh, so they had to write you know that, that's why they you know used that script was because okay we have this star wars script that takes place in a prison planet and okay well let's take the take the star wars stuff out of it and put alien stuff in it and there you go um this movie suffers from a lot of that same stuff it it, it suffers from the studio now trying to make the franchise big again because the third one wasn't super well received and so this one's you know we'll just load it full of kind of 90s stars and uh uh, you know, bring on a uh, you know a sci-fi writer and this weird French director and you know people that they could they thought they could probably push around. Right, right. It did seem like that, and they were giving you know a couple of people that were hungry at the time, you know, some something to to chew on, and you know, it just like I said, it, it works a little bit better than Alien 3, at least in my opinion. Uh, I felt that Alien 3 was just too bleak and a little dry, a little boring. You know, I mean, expertly directed, I, I, I must say. I mean, David Fincher is a great director, but again, just 
a mismatch, but right. And I mean, and with that movie too, that was David Fincher's first movie. So I mean, the studio brought him on because they knew they could push him around. And then ever since that movie, you know, uh, Fincher has you know refused to give up creative control of the project because he got burned on his first movie. So and good for him. Yeah, <laughs> you know, totally. He's not, made forgetting, not forgetting films. burned, but you know, for uh, you know taking that stance of like, yeah, I get I get creative control. He's one of my favorite directors. I mean, he directed one of my favorite movies. I love Fight Club. Fight Club right. is is a must. But uh, I do love the way this movie begins with them. Uh, there's an alternate uh, opening in the special edition. And we'll, I'll reference the special edition uh, very minimally here. It, the, the, the alternate opening is uh, the close-up of what you think is an alien face. Because it's got the, you know, the sharp teeth in the inner mouth but you actually see that it's just a mutated fly and as it pulls back this guy that is the pilot of the ship you know smashes the fly and then like flings it against the wall it was an, an excuse to have some early night or late 90s uh, cgi and it doesn't really work again i can see why they went with the the actual theatrical opening of the them cloning ripley and i like the idea that that they keep Ripley alive after they remove the alien queen from her chest almost as an afterthought. They're just kind of like, yeah, can we keep her? Right. You know, Gideon is, or not Gideon, uh, uh, Gediman, you know, is just kind of like, yeah, we can keep her, you know, but Ren and General Perez are pretty much against it. As I said, you know, she died trying to like eradicate this species. And for all intents and purposes, she was successful. And, uh, you know, I, I just think if that was their mistake was keeping her alive was, you know, otherwise their plans probably would have went off without a hitch. Well, not exactly. <laughs> you yeah. know, the crew still would have died. <laughs> yeah, ma'am. Every, oh, yeah, the aliens would have, you know, would have taken over shit because like even she tells them, oh, you're going to make them roll over, heal, play dead. Like that's not the kind of tricks you can teach these things. Right. Now, I, I do think, you know, uh, now James Freeman as Dr. Wren was originally intended to, as a bit of trivia here, was intended to be played by Bill Murray as a way to reconnect Sigourney Weaver and Bill Murray from Ghostbusters. And I think that would have made this movie next level weird to have Bill Murray in it as a, he's the evil, you know, doctor. Yeah, I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't think that would have, I don't just don't think it would, tonally, I don't think Bill Murray, uh, you know, takes himself too seriously, especially at this <laughs> point in his career. Now, nowadays, you know, he does a lot more serious work or at least, uh, you know, more artsy, weird indie stuff. But, uh, yeah, at this point in his career, probably would have been a little tonally weird. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think he had just came off of doing Osmosis Jones around this time. So I can't <laughs> understand the idea of, like, having Bill Murray get an alien movie. It would have been an interesting alternate reality to see that but I think it would have made the movie work even less. And, right. and I hate to say that I would not like to see Bill Murray in anything because I love Bill Murray, but yeah, it just would have, like you said, tonally would not have worked. I, I do like the, the, the queen reveal when it's this kind of that, uh Oh moment when they got the full size queen, which almost didn't happen. They almost rewrote the entire script with the, with the idea behind the queen because they, they could not find the original animatronic puppeted 
queen that had disappeared after the the alien sequel but they actually found it in a private collector's uh collection and oh, wow. managed to buy it back from him to use an altar but then they don't really use the queen that much the user in, in a couple of shots and exp- right we don't have to talk about this uh, in a linear fashion as we usually do we kind of can jump around here but like when the alien human hybrid is born it automatically kills the, the queen and it right. kind of qu- kills her in a it's kind of a wonky death it's just, yeah, just kind of like smacks in the face yeah smacks her in the face knocks the top half of her head off and it's just kind of like this was the big badass in part two and it's just kind of you know you know, fucked away by a backhand. I, I just, I, I think that's I, kind of the point of it, you know, because they're taking the alien. There's a couple of things happening with that in the end that I can understand. I can understand the, the, I guess, you know, creative direction of it. Like, cause the alien queen at the end, she's actually giving birth, which is not something that she usually does. You know, she lays eggs. So she's actually giving birth to this human hybrid uh alien so this alien you know doesn't know what the heck's going on you know she's given birth to this thing it's her child uh like this abomination and then she's you know weak you know she's a woman who just gave birth so she's you know she's weak she's not up to strength and i think the only thing that really doesn't work for me is just the actual death blow because it's just kind of (laughs) lame Yeah, it's a very anticlimactic. It's just like you know, I mean, for such a iconic kind of creature, it it, it just deserved a better death. I'm, you know, I, I think leave it's it at that. probably you know, it's probably for the audience to go, you know, like kind of like a, you know, it kills the queen so easily, so now the audience should fear this thing even more because like we know what the queen is and how powerful the queen is, and this thing killed it effortlessly. So therefore, this creature is not something to be messed with is I think the message, despite the fact that the, I'm not a huge fan of the alien human hybrid thing. <laughs> Me all. either. It looks really wonky and it just to be quite honest, it looks kind of dopey looking. Yeah. It, it, this, yeah, it doesn't look good. I can't believe that that's the final creature design that they went with. It just, yeah, for a multi-million dollar movie, you know, uh, movement, I think they said the budget was around $75 million. They couldn't have spent just a little bit more money on that well, alien hybrid. I think, I think, and I think, you know, I don't know, as far as people's opinion of this movie, this is definitely, you know, at the bottom of most people's alien list. Um, this and three, I guess. But uh, I think that's where, pe- what, where people mostly hate the movie is the end. They hate the human hybrid alien thing. They hate how the movie concludes. Uh, everything leading up to that is, it is whatever. I mean, it's just pure 90s, you know. Yeah, it's a fun movie. They definitely ramped up the fun factor of this yeah. movie after part three. Because part three, there's no fun in that movie. There's no fun and, in part three. Yeah, there's no. this sadness and crying and bleak darkness and death. And, you know, <laughs> there's just, there's nothing to be like. There's nothing to snicker at. There's nothing to laugh at. <laughs> it, it's right. Just, but this is an actual fun movie. I mean, especially when the pirates show up, when they show up on the Betty. Yes. I, they're a great ragtag group. Yes. The space pirates are the reason why this movie is memorable. Because this ragtag group of characters is awesome. I like everybody in this group. Yeah. I, I think the the MVP of this movie, I always label somebody as the MVP, is definitely Ron Perlman. Oh, for sure. 
because he's the MVP in anything he's in. You know, there's it's hard to be in a rock movie with Ron Perlman and not get overshadowed by him. But yeah. he's he's great. I, I really like. I'm probably gonna uh, mispronounce his name, but Dominique uh, Pignon. I might. It's Bryce, the the man who's confined to that futuristic wheelchair. He's great. Gary Dorton is great as Christie. I, I like Michael Wincott as as Elgin. You know, and and Brad Dorf is good, even though he's not really per se, part of the pirate group, but, like, Brad Dorff is just, again, another person. It's hard to be in a scene with him, I would imagine, and not be like, yeah, th- this is this is the guy that's going to overshadow everybody. Right. <laughs> I just love some of the, just some of the banter b- between all of them. You can tell they've all been together for quite a while, even though Call, Winona Ryder, is, like, the new girl in the group. Right. I, I do love the incident where... Uh, Ron Perlman is John or drops the knife into, <laughs> into Bryce's leg and he just doesn't notice it, you know, because he can't yeah. feel anything from the waist down. And it's just like, it's such know, and a that's, hassle. His, that's his character introduction too, right? That's, that's Ron Perlman's. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, his character's introduction is, you know, dropping this on him, which is, you know, a dick move. Yeah. <laughs> and he's just like, he just brushes it off as in a way, just like, Hey, you know, he can't feel it anyway. Big fucking deal. Right. But then he gets mad as fuck, mad as hell when uh, when Owner Ryder breaks the blade because he's like, hey, hey, you know, give me the knife back. She just snaps the blade right off. And I, what a weak ass knife to be able to, like, snap it just right. like that. <laughs> but she's an android. Yeah, I kind of feel like that was a way for them to kind of, like, give you some insight that, like, oh, maybe she is a little superhuman. Yeah. But ultimately, it comes off as, man, that knife sucks. <laughs> <laughs> it comes off as like, ooh, man, they hot glued that fucking thing together, didn't they? But yeah, yeah. I I, I have to say, when I first saw this in theaters in 97, I, I was not surprised at all that, you know, the big reveal halfway through when Winona Ryder is called is revealed to be an android, a synthetic. I was not surprised. Because, like, there's something in every single Alien movie where somebody is revealed to secretly be an android. Right. And when I first saw it, I was just like, oh, yeah, it's Winona Ryder because she's the new girl. She's the outsider to everybody. So, yeah, it was not a big surprise. Yeah. This movie came out, I mean, you saw it in theaters. I saw it, like, on VHS, probably, (laughs) like home video. Because this movie came out in 97, so I'd have been like 10. Yeah, so yeah, well, yeah. probably wasn't the proper... <laughs> we probably weren't uh, age to see this one in the theater. Right, well, I was... T- <laughs> I mean, I, but I was 10, and the thing about... Like, I was already a fan of the Alien franchise at this point. And... But the reason why I think that this movie has, like, this... I don't know, like, I like it more than most, I think. And it's because it came out when I was 10. Like, it has a nostalgic... And it's fun, and it's space pirates, and they got the dude with the cool guns that come out of his sleeves. Yeah, like, the taxi driver guns, as I call yeah, them. Yeah, like, that's awesome. And, you know, like, yeah, this whole group of characters is just, you know, they're comic book characters, and Sigourney Weaver is a superhero in this. <laughs> <laughs> a resurrected superhero, because let's face it, she did die at the end of, for all intents and purposes, at the end of part three. She yeah. was dead, incinerated. 
Yeah, this is a this is her clone with alien DNA. So she bleeds acid and is like a total badass. I do. I have to admit. Now, while this is nowhere near my favorite alien movie, it is my favorite version of Ripley. Her being partial alien and having the alien blood and her fingernails are almost like claws in the way she portrays Ripley. She has a very kind of bird-like reptilian way of looking at things, you know, and, and moving around things and sensing things. She moves like the aliens move. I, I thought that was a great aesthetic to, to add to her character. Right. I like, I think that her character has a lot to do in this when it comes to uh, like her character's motivations because she's not Ripley and she knows she's not Ripley. And like, you know, she's, she has Ripley's memories probably maybe. I'm not even sure that she does necessarily. Well, she does. Cause she's, she, she knows the danger of the aliens, but she has fragments of memories really. Right. But she's not a, uh, you know, she's not really Ripley. She's, you know, she has her body and maybe her consciousness, but you know, Ripley's dead and she's, you know, She's self-aware enough of this to know that she's not really that person. That is true. That's a, a pretty good summary of it. You know, it's, she's, if anything, she's like an echo or a ghost of what Ripley was. Exactly. And I think that's, you know, was a great way to reinvent it. I mean, because Alien 3 almost sunk the franchise. I mean, and this one, uh, as much as I hate to admit it, as much as I like it, it, it almost you know, sunk the franchise yet again. I mean, they wouldn't make another one for what, seven, eight years before they made alien versus predator. And is it that long? Yeah. I thought, um, this came out in 97. Didn't predator alien versus predator came out in 2004. Yep. 2005. I think. 2004. Yeah. But yeah, it's just, it just feels like the, as aliens is a franchise, at least as a singular franchise died after this one. The only, you know, I mean, they they rebooted it with Alien Covenant or Prometheus and then Alien Covenant and tried to keep it alive in Alien versus Predator, but well, Alien versus Predator just doesn't make any sense. Like the problem with Alien versus Predator is it's clearly not canon. It takes place like on Earth and the aliens have been there, like in this pyramid, and there's just like like it doesn't make any sense as far as the timeline that the Alien movies, you know, take place. And then when you th- start to throw the newer stuff into it, uh, you know, the aliens were created by, I don't even, like, Alien Covenant, I don't know. The story gets so convoluted when you when you start getting into the, the new, like, movies that, yeah, they just clearly have thrown, a, you know, Alien versus Predator out the window as far as any kind of canon or continuity. It's like, yeah, and Alien, Alien versus Predator Requiem is just... Yeah, like as you put it, as we were talking before the show, before we started recording, it's just a slasher movie. Yeah, it just happens to have uh, you know aliens and predators in it. Besides, it's it's Jason versus Freddy, just with different characters. And that's and that's what it was, you know, Alien versus Predator. You know, like the Freddy versus Jason thing. uh, You know, came out two thousand three. Alien versus Predator. You know, two thousand four, but. But it, but Freddy versus Jason, you know, was as terrible as that movie is. It made a lot of money. I bet. I bet it did. I bet it oh, made a lot of money. <laughs> it made a ton of bank. I don't recall how much, but it made a ton of bank. I mean, so much so that they were going to do an alien or not alien, but a Jason versus Freddy versus Ash 
for a time, but they couldn't acquire the rights to all the, the franchises, which I'm kind of glad that it just didn't happen as much as it's something I would have liked to see. And I think I'd rather see a comic book version of that as opposed to a film version. Just just me. But anyway, anyway, we'll get back to Alien Resurrection and get off here on a tangent. <laughs> <laughs> I think some of the, you know, as you described it, you know, this was a product of its times, you know, being in the 90s. Some things that happened, you know, the basketball sequence. I like the little things like the bourbon solid that he turns into liquid trick. You know, the little frozen, you know, cube of bourbon that. Oh, right, get, right. You know, the, it's just little things that mean nothing in the movie, but they're just like, hey, look what we can do with CGI. We're going to do this and, and you're going to be impressed, right? <laughs> <laughs> now, the one thing about this movie that that is also very, as again, as I call it, misleveled, is the miniature work. The miniature yeah. work in some sequences is really, really good. And it's top-notch miniature work. Other sequences, you can tell they didn't shoot it practically they shot it with green screens and added cgi so it's like a 50 50 mix you never know quite what you're going to get like some shots of the betty look really good and some shots of the betty and the the main ship do not look good at all you can you can definitely tell there's a when they use miniatures and when they did not use miniatures i don't don't know why like some shots look as good as they do and other shots don't. It just, it felt, I don't know. To me, it felt somewhat rushed. Yeah, you know, and it probably was. Like, I don't really have a huge inside into, you know, what was going on behind the scenes of this movie. But when it comes to these movies, and I, I know with Alien 3, it definitely was uh, like rushed into production. Like, they were like, well, they wanted to capitalize on the second one and they, you know, they pushed it into production so fast. With this one, you know, I don't really know as far as the headache that was going on with the studio behind the scenes because. This is a huge multi-million dollar like movie. Like like the budget for this is massive. And you know, the studios they're just not going to you know, let anything happen necessarily, you know, that they don't see fit. But yeah, the uh uh maybe some of those miniature work, some maybe some of that stuff that doesn't look so good was reshoots, you know, when they had to come back in and fix something or or uh yeah, or maybe it was just, you know, they had so much money for this shot but didn't have as much money for that shot. That's usually how it works. Yeah, you know, and like you said, as much money as they spent on this movie, one of the bits of trivia I had written down was that uh, for after Alien 3, Scorny Weaver did not want to do a fourth Alien movie. And when asked in an interview why she changed her mind, her quote was, they basically drove a dump truck full of money up to my house. Right. And, and like, why wouldn't you? You're going to like, hey, we're going to give you, you know, X amount of millions of dollars, you know. I'd make any bad movie in the world that they wanted to pay me in the millions. I'd be like, what do you want me to make? Oh, a sequel to Super Babies? Okay, I'm down. I'm through that. Right. <laughs> For sure. Be like, what? You want a sequel? You want a sequel called Son of Mask Part Two? Yeah, let, let's do that. Let's do that. You're gonna pay me how many millions? I'm I'm down for that. But uh the gist of the story is, is that that the after m- making the alien, you know, hybrid, not the alien hybrid, but make making the 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 clone of Ripley just to get the alien queen out of her chest. Uh, they employed the pirates on the Betty to bring, you know, their uh, cargo, which is a bunch of people in cryostasis, you know, so that they could, you know, 
you know, have the, them, you know, impregnated with the the aliens, you know, with the the face huggers. And this is the part where I think the alien eggs have never looked better. I remember reading that Jean Pierre thought that the alien eggs in part one and even part two and didn't look up the snuff. They looked too rigid. So he wanted them to be more liquid-like, more free-flowing and more kind of, you know, just more lifelike. And I think the alien eggs in this movie, uh, they've never looked better. They've never looked better. And that's always been the creepy part of the aliens movies to me. It's not the xenomorphs, not the alien queen is the face huggers coming out of those eggs. They just look so reptilian and like crab-like, lobster-like, you know what I mean? It's just, it's just creepy as fuck. Yeah. Yeah. When, when they've got those guys like strapped down to the, you know, like the, basically their, their test subjects that they're going to implant. Like that scene is creepy. When you see those things open up, that's not a, it's not anything that I want in or around my face. (laughs) (laughs) Even just as a prop, as a movie prop, I I would probably be a little uh, anxious filming a scene like that because it's just it just looks that damn good yeah uh yeah speaking of like, but speaking of the alien and the eggs and the xenomorphs another creepy scene and it's not even the the aliens that are creepy with it is when Gediman, uh, brad Dorr's character has one of the full grown xenomorphs in you know uh in their like prison stasis and he's making like the kissy face with the yeah, it's like making out with it through the glass. Yeah, like what the fuck was that about? Were they just like, listen, Brad, we know you do creepy well, just do something creepy with the alien. I mean, like, he, and he just decided, I'm going to make out with it through the glass, kind of like prison love or something. <laughs> I don't. Right, I, I, I think didn't it's get you it. know, it's it's selling his, it's you know the uh, you know his character in the end when he's you know kind of explaining the you know the queen and and uh you know she's a mother and all this stuff and like the love of the child and all that like that it's just you know it's it's kind of foreshadowing his obsession and his his like love that he has for these creatures uh that you know um definitely goes beyond uh a professional <laughs> way past professional level <laughs> yeah uh but i i just think it's very weird that they took 200 years to clone ripley and that is the the gist of the story that is roughly even further into the future than the rest of the alien franchise that it took them 200 years like you would think with the advances of DNA uh, technology and gene splicing and stuff that even there is today that it wouldn't take to the year like 2700 or 2600 to to clone somebody. I would think, you know, not that I'm a scientist, I'm far from it. I'm not nearly that educated, but it just it seems like, oh, it took us 200 years to get a blood sample up from well, her. Well, she she jumped into like a volcano, right? <laughs> or like like yeah, yeah basically. Right. So maybe it just took 200 years for them to discover any DNA from her. Like, let's be realistic here. There's, they're not getting any DNA from that. <laughs> yeah, it's incinerated. Yeah. And I would think that the only way they, and even though they don't uh, explain it, uh, I think that the 
the way they probably got it, you know, like as far as like I think what I've read is like the fan theory is that when she arrived on the planet, the doctor that was taking care of her that found out that she had the alien inside her probably took some blood samples that they found left over on this the planet that the, they were from Furia, I think it was called Furia 16 or Furia 16 or something like that. But it's yeah, it's just a little weird. And then again, there's a lot of things. The other with thing this, that's weird, weird is. They clone her so they can get the alien, right? Like, that's the only, that's the purpose of it. Right. They clone her so that they can get the alien. But, like, so it's like the species just doesn't exist anymore? Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense of, like, the, that they only existed on that planet, that they existed on Earth, that they existed, you know, on their own, like, homeland. They would have think, like, you know, they had explored space to the extent that they had they would have ran into the the alien species, you know, the xenomorphs and whatnot, like, at some point. I'm just thinking, like, couldn't you go back to the, you know, the locations where they found them in the first and second movie to then, you know, find, like, traces of DNA or something of these aliens, of this alien species to clone that? Like, it just seems so random that in 200 years there was no trace of this particular species and they were like you know just destined to create this thing basically as a weapon right like that's what they want they want to weaponize it yeah well of course they always do right i don't know well and you know otherwise you know they wouldn't have had ripley and that's what they wanted they you know that's what the producers wanted was to bring back Ripley and the aliens at the same time. So they, they put it, everybody together in a writer's room and said, how do we do that? Even with movie logic, like, Oh, we'll clone her from the blood. But yeah, it just seems a little uh, far fetched that they wouldn't have been able to find any kind of remnant of the aliens. You know, maybe they, they, they knew for a fact, maybe they couldn't find the queen and that's what they were looking for. You know, uh, who knows? It was just one of those things I think that was, uh, you know, how do you want to say, just uh, a little far-fetched. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it's all far-fetched. But like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's all far, far-fetched. It's, it, it, it damn near borders on the realm of parody. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, when you got... <laughs> you know they don't take things too serious when you have lines like, you know, who do I got to fuck to get off this boat? And he's like, well, you know, I could get you off, maybe not off the boat. It's right. just, it's very... Ch- the dialogue is very uh, childish, and I think that's, you know, it's reflected, you know, with Josh Whedon, you know. <clears throat> but uh, I, I love the fact, this is my favorite kind of idea of the movie, when they find out that the ship is being, is uh, automatically piloted to go back to Earth. And the first thing they say, like, Earth, I'd rather stay here with these things. And like, the Earth is a shithole. Like, they, everybody is, you know, has no intention or desire to want to go back to Earth. And I think that's what, where they were going with it, with the original ending with, with uh, Ripley and Call and and the and I think it was uh, uh, Ron Perlman's character and uh, Bryce, you know, making it back to Earth in, in one piece, barely in one piece. They would have extended upon that and had them on Earth with the aliens. I mean, obviously, they would have probably, probably been like, oh, there was, you know, one alien that we didn't know that had stayed in Cargo Bay, and it, now it's on Earth. And it's it's, it's always something. There's always one alien that they don't know about. It's just like towards the end of the movie when they're getting on the Betty. Of course, the hybrid makes it on board because, you know, 
Howells would you not have that final, you know, showdown between Ripley and the the alien, even though it's the hybrid? And how right. did like, okay, the the alien queen gave birth to the hybrid. The the hybrid kills the alien queen like that in one second, but even Gediman it says you know it recognizes you as its mother, but it's not really. She's not really its mother. I mean, she is kind of its mother in, in a weird kind of. She's like its grandmother. Yeah, yeah, she, yeah. I was going to say she's more like its <laughs> more like its grandmother. But she maybe it's just one of those you know, like a, a grandchild has this, a, a certain kind of love for its grandparents. I don't, I don't know. But the, the the whole, I mean, like everybody just gets when they get bumped off in this movie, it's always getting their heads eaten. I just didn't remember the aliens being so brain hungry in the the past movies. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm looking right now at the box office mojo to see, like, you know, like what it made. Uh, as far as like, it was it had a seventy five million dollar budget. And it made 16 and a half on its opening weekend, Ooh, uh, which is not good. Uh, you know, it went on internationally to make 113 million for a total worldwide of 161 million, which I guess is, you know, they made their money back, but possibly made their money back. Oh, I'm sure publicity and advertising took a, exactly, was another. Yeah, because they say to double, they always say double your double the budget for advertising. So, uh, you know, they, they might have broken even on this thing. Uh, you know, over years of release, because that's, you know, years now. <laughs> um, but uh, Alien 3 50, had a $50 million budget and opened up to a $20 million domestic opening, or roughly 19 and a half. Uh, Aliens, it does not say what the budget was, but Aliens in itself says on here that it only opened up to $10 million, um, mm. but had a total domestic of 85 million um worldwide of 131 so i mean it's on par like it made more money than this than aliens or alien 3 it made more more money than both of those uh but also cost the most to make so you know as a whole i mean i guess the, the franchise itself you know it has kind of a little bit more of a niche audience it's not like uh you know the general public was running out to see any of these movies right well, I did. Uh, I just uh, looked up myself. The budget for Aliens was eighteen point five million, which blows my mind. I know that's nineteen eighty six dollars, but like the fact that that movie cost less than twenty million to make, I almost can't even freaking believe that. Yeah, and it made its half its money back opening weekend. That's a good sign. That's what you want. You know, you. I mean, you want to make all your money back opening weekend. But I think if you make half your money back opening weekend, it's a good sign. Uh, especially with a movie like Aliens, you know, um, it may have, and it would, I guess I, can, I might be able to find out on here, but it may have been one of those word of mouth movies that continued to make money more and more every weekend after, whereas, you know, Resurrection just dropped every weekend. It made, you know, less and less and less, like, like it dropped 50% in its second weekend, which is not good. No, no. Yeah, yeah. The 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 franchise was uh, kind of floundering by this point, I think. 
I mean, they're just introducing certain things that just, I guess to me, is maybe just expanding upon the lore, but things that didn't make sense to me, like the scene where the one alien decides to spit goo into uh, the, the character of Christie's face that is also acidic. You know, yeah. like, and you never see an alien do that before. You never see another alien do that afterwards. I felt like that was something they threw together in the writing room, and it was just like, "Hey, listen, what if it also spit it, spit acid blood?" Right. It just, I don't know. It, and I think the whole underwater sequence is very <laughs> is is very neat, and I mean, it looks very good. It's very stylistic, but you know, to spend three weeks, I think they said, on filming that, and then at almost having two cast members and a crew member almost die while filming it. <laughs> right. I I actually really enjoy the underwater sequence. I think that putting alien the aliens underwater was like a, that was a I think it was a good idea. Maybe maybe it's not executed, you know, perfectly, but I think that the type of creature that they are, uh, I think that they, you know, would suit water like that pretty well and you know, they established I love the way they move through the water. Right, and then they they, they they bring this back in Alien versus Predator Requiem at the end of that movie is, you know, a high school swimming pool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, uh, they, they bring it back, but just <laughs> not very... Uh, not in a very streamlike fashion. It is. It's like, ooh, yeah. we're on we're on a spaceship, you know, headed towards fiery Earth, or we're in a high school swimming pool. It's, right. You know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I lo- I do love the sequence when they get out of the the water and they go into the area that has been set up by the Queen as her like egg laying ground, where there's just dozens of face huggers everywhere. And right. just the impending doom of like literally going from frying pan to fire. I, I, I do like that uh, logistics. Uh, I love how uh, Johnner takes out the alien by, you know, hooking his legs into the the ladder, flipping backwards, shooting down backwards over his two friends and shooting at the aliens. But when he flips back up, he's face to fight face with this tiny little itty bitty nickel sized spider and he screams and shoots it right (laughs) yeah no this is definitely like one of the most like badass moments of the movie uh you know you got giant explosions you got ron perlman like hanging upside down there's a ron yeah and uh uh when i was like at this the time this movie came out there was also a video game franchise i'm not not sure if you're familiar with the 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 franchise tekken like a fighting uh, game yes um tekken 3 had come out and there was a character named brian fury in that game and when i used to watch this movie as a 10 year old uh, i always thought that ron perlman looked a lot like him (laughs) and would reference that throughout this movie Uh, (laughs) it's tekken guy it's tekken guy yeah yeah, I just but, I like this is probably my introduction to Ron Perlman. My introduction to Ron Perlman was uh, was in the eighties when he played the Beast in Beauty and the Beast. Okay, and I didn't recognize him for for years afterwards. Like somebody be like, "Ooh, that's Ron Perlman." I'm like, "Which one?" 
because he was underneath so much prosthetics and makeup, you know, for this beast character that he played. And it was, it was many years. It, w- it wasn't until many years later, actually, I think it was another little movie called sleepwalkers, uh, Stephen King's sleepwalkers where he pops up at the end as the town sheriff. And I was just like, Oh, it's that guy. Like, Oh, I kind of get it. Right. But he, yeah. 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 Ron Perlman. I'm down for anything Ron Perlman's in, even if it's a bad movie. Yeah, you know, and me too. Uh, you know, he's he's done so much great stuff. I'm actually looking at his IMDb. I did not realize he was the voice of Clayface in Batman the Animated Series. Which is <laughs> <awesome>. <laughs> he's done a lot of voice work, you know. He's done a lot of... It's not just uh, relegated to Hellboy as far as his comic book work. He's done a lot of uh, voice work for cartoons and stuff. Yeah, but yeah, he's got what a good two hundred and some credits or something like that. He is uh, definitely a, a working actor. He's always in demand. Uh, where I, I love <laughs> kind of a weird segue here, but I love when it is revealed that Call is an android after Ren shoots her point blank and she falls down into the water and kind of sinks. And you think that's it. She pops back up a little bit later. And again, Ron Perlman's line is great. She's a fucking toaster oven. Can we go now? It's again just that comic booky, very kid-like kind of dialogue and whatnot. And this is the, the point where I made a, a point in my notes where I do just love Ripley's expressions, the way she looks at everything. Sigourney Weaver really does bring it in this role, and she manages, you know, again, like we had said earlier, she's not exactly Ripley. She's just a kind of afterthought, um, you know, a ghost of Ripley, really. Right. But but the way she looks at everything, I think she was, you know, taking on that embodiment of being part, you know what I mean, part alien. And it's really, again, it's it it's not my favorite alien movie. It's not even my favorite Sigourney Weaver movie. But it is my favorite performance by Scorny Weaver, if that makes any sense. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I really like who she is in this a lot. Like, I, I think what she's doing in this, like, you know, as far as like her character motivations are are fantastic. Um, you know, I don't know if it's my favorite movie that she's in, you know, or my favorite performance from her. But I do think that she is the standout. Like, what she's doing isn't bad. It's just the writing around her that suffers and the direction. Yeah. The, the thing too, we're not the direction, like all the actors are doing great. And this, you know, and the story is not bad. I don't think, but I think that the filmmaking is just boring. Uh, yes. Yeah, for the most part. Yes. Uh, I think that, you know, the, the first two movies uh, and even the third one has some interesting choices made as far as like from the, from like a filmmaking standpoint, from like camera language and, and, uh, you know, like the third one might suck as far as the story goes, but it is still David Fincher directing. And I think there's a lot of really creative decisions there. Uh, but but this movie is just overall, it's not uh, it's it's just playing it safe. I think, you know, it's not taking a huge lot. It's not taking, you know, very many risks when it comes to, uh, you know, the filmmaking. It's a lot. Of, it's a lot of locked down shots. Not a lot of moving, moving shots. Just a lot of locked down stuff, which is fine. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and then every once in a while, it's sprinkled with like a, a an interesting angle that somehow made it through. Like um, when the Purvis character, the one doctor, or the the one uh, 
cargo hold guy that they find when the camera moves down his throat and you see the alien uh-huh. chestburster like writhing in his belly. Like that's a great shot. Right. But again, it's 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 they're sprinkled here and there. I felt like like they essentially cut the balls off of the director and didn't allow him to do anything, you know, too crazy or too creative that, you know, it just a lot probably just, you know, had him kind of handcuffed to to the table, so to speak, you know, and it was just not allowing him to take any chances. Um, completely off topic and uh, something that is noteworthy. <laughs> uh, go for it. <laughs> Raymond Cruz is in this movie. Yeah, Tuco from fucking Breaking Bad. Yeah, yes, he is. which that that one was the one that threw me for a loop when I was watching it. I was like, oh, it's Tuco. <laughs> <laughs> I'd forgot about him being in this movie at all. When he pops up, I was just like, oh, he's in this? Yeah. Like, for real? Yeah, like, and he, he's pretty much not even in the first half. In the first right. half of the movie, he's non-existent, and it's not really until he's, he's what, the last man standing from the the, the military guys, you know? Right. <laughs> and they don't really allow him to do a whole lot, but I love Raymond Cruz. He's great, but I can't look at him and not think of Tuco. Oh, for sure. 100%. And that's exactly, you know, like what, as was, the moment that I saw him, I was just like, oh, shit, it's Tuco. Um, so uh, how do you feel about the uh, the clone sequence? Oh, my absolute favorite sequence of the movie. I was going to touch base on that at some point. I kind of wish they had lingered on it a little bit more. A little bit. I mean, it was over. It was over too quickly, in my my opinion. I, I love the fact when she comes in and there's the different clones in jars, but then there's the clone on the table that is just yeah. still alive. I think it was number six or number seven, what it was, when you know Sigourney Weaver's on that table and she looks up and all she can say with an exasperated breath is just "kill me." It's haunting. It's fucking terrifying. I, I yeah. love it. I don't know what you think about it, but I. Oh no! Totally, my, totally. One of my two agree. favorite sequences between you know the, the action sequence we were just talking about with Ron Perlman, and, and that sequence, two favorite scenes. Yeah, uh, I yeah I totally agree. I think that that sequence is one of those sequences that you know my ten year old uh, brain it, it just always haunted me. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure that that gave me a nightmare or two now. Like, granted, I was like 21 when this came out, but I'm sure it probably still gave me a nightmare or two because it's haunting. It, yeah. it's, it's, it's absolutely terrifying. Yeah. But, and those uh, are the things that this movie does right. Like, all the, you know, the, what we like, the body horror stuff, uh, you know, it does it, it does it well and uh, it's creepy. And there's just like all this implied sexual tension throughout the movie. Uh, which is great too, because the thing that people like tend to ignore about the alien franchise is that, um, the whole premise of the first movie and, you know, and the, the species in itself is like intergalactic rape because like these creatures are, you know, they're literally shoving their dicks down your throat and, uh, putting a baby in you. And that's, uh, you know, they're, they're, you know, their whole design is, you know, phallic, you know, it's all, uh, 
you know, it's just a, you know, it's just a bunch of dicks chasing you down corridors. <laughs> and, uh, well, that's kind of the goes with the the total design by H.R. Geiger. It's right. always bordered on everything he he's designed is bordered on al- sex with aliens. Right. So, like, so the thing that this movie does well is it doubles down on all of that, which is the second and third movie kind of ignore. This movie doubles down on the original idea of the franchise, which is this is supposed to be like overly sexual and make you feel very uncomfortable. And uh, and I think that is what this movie does really well. It's like, you know, like that's why he's making out with the alien through the glass. And uh, well, th- there's also the sequence when uh, Ripley falls through the grating on the floor and she lands on the the writhing pile of xenomorphs and, and their kind of alien goo. It's very sensual, very sexy in, in a very weird kind of way, you know, like right. the way she's reacting and the way that, that they're, she's kind of embracing the, the aliens and rubbing all over them. It's just like, OK, that's where they're taking it. They're going sex with aliens right now. Yep. <laughs> right but i but i understand that creative decision like i you know, trying to trying to take it back to to its roots in a sense as far as as far as making you the audience feel extremely uncomfortable yeah yeah and it does do that well yeah i kind of wish they had actually kind of foregone some of the the off-put humor of it yeah a- and just went full-blown dark full-blown you know body horror with it i i would have i probably would like this movie and come up a, a point or two higher if it had but then if they had done that we wouldn't have had a lot of the great one-liners and dialogue that ron perlman has so i'm willing to, i'm willing to sacrifice it you know now that that's, brings me to a point that i gotta ask you a question do you feel like the that the the alien hybrid scene, you know, we have already touched base on the hybrid looking a little clunky, a little wonky. But do you think like that whole idea of, of the hybrid was almost put in as an afterthought or almost as a I, I kind of felt like that m- must have been something that was a, the whole idea. Of the ending was there like almost a reshoot or an afterthought. I'm not sure yeah, what you thought about I that. I vaguely I vaguely remember uh, that being the case. And I, I, I would, you know, I I can't exactly pinpoint it and I could probably do some research, but I, uh, I vaguely remember that being a thing. Cause I, I did a show, I did a podcast on alien three a few years ago and we talked about resurrection, uh, in that as well. But, but I, I think it was, I think that the alien human hybrid thing was something they brought on board, uh, like, you know, way late into the project. And, you know, which could, you know, explain why the the art style for it is a little wonky because it was, you know, they kind of winged it, you know, in the end. Yeah. Uh, But um, but what I think is, you know, I don't know. I I think the sequence itself is just it's not that like threatening, you know, it's just like like they're they're you know, they're escaping on a ship that's, you know, it made it on board whatever it's like gonna kill the android chick which like who cares because it's she's an android anyway it doesn't really matter yeah. <laughs> and, uh, uh, it doesn't matter as much right <laughs> right but um uh but then it's just like you know it's just a standoff it's just a one-on-one with you know ripley and this alien that you know doesn't really pose a huge threat to her because it believes it to self to be like her child 
And, you know, she just like flecks some blood on the window and and sucks it out of a tiny hole. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it felt like it was it was a way to end the movie off almost in the same fashion of part one and part two. Right. You know, in part one, you know, they blow the alien out the airlock. And, you know, in part two, they suck the alien queen through the airlock. And this one, they suck the alien hybrid through that little tiny hole, which I have to admit, like, not not a bad sequence. It's, it's very effects heavy and very gory and very gross. nasty. It's gross, but... Like you said, for something that just didn't feel like so much of a threat, I think it was a misfire to me to not have the alien queen as your main threat and have this alien hybrid. Like I said, that almost felt like an afterthought. Or at least make this alien hybrid thing like a threat, because that's the problem is the final sequence. You don't really feel like it's, you know, I don't know that it's it's much of a threat. It's more sad than anything. Yeah, even its expressions with it, I mean, it's the only alien that has any eyes. I remember making a note of that, that they wanted it to look more human-like to have the eyes because uh, people had complained in the past with the the alien movies that how did the aliens see because it wasn't like they had any visible eyes. But I thought, again, it was a design flaw for the alien hybrid. It just, it looked very, you know, it just looked sad and kind of mopey and almost like uh, you know, like an alien that's kind of going, um, I miss my mommy, you know? <laughs> it's just, right. But I did make a note here that the original, uh, as I was looking through some trivia, that the original budget for Alien, the first Alien movie was $11 million, which is the exact amount that they paid Sigourney Weaver to come back and make this sequel. Oh, wow. So... You know, 18 years later, she got paid what the entire budget was for Ridley Scott's Alien <laughs> and got paid $11 million. And that the original story was supposed to be about um, was supposed to be about Newt, that Newt was the one that they were, had uh, resurrected. And I don't know how they would have made that work, especially after the way Part 3 went down. I, I think, again, even though this movie is a bit of a misfire... I think they went the, the right route by resurrecting Ripley and not Newt. It wouldn't have made much sense. Now, in the the special edition, the director's cut, if you will, you know they do make a couple references to Newt, but never by name. Uh, there's a sequence where uh, Ripley and Call are talking, and she's like, "Yeah, I had a," you know, she's like, "Do you have any memories?" And you know, do, what do you remember? And she's like, "Well, I remembered a girl that I tried saving once because they were talking." Where Ripley's uh, trying to get out of call. Why are you here? Why are you trying to protect these people? You know, why are you trying to save them? She's like, well, I was programmed to do this. And Ripley was like, well, I feel like I was too. And But she's like to the point where like she remembers her being a girl who had nightmares and that she was trying to protect. But it's so foggy that she couldn't even remember her name. Right. And of course, the, the opening line of the movie is like, you know, my mommy's told me that there were no monsters, but, you know. There are monsters, but I think in this movie, the monsters are really the the scientists and the doctors, to, to be quite honest. The yeah. aliens are, are the creatures, but yeah, the humans are the, as, as with most things, humans are the real monsters. But I mean, really, by, beyond this point, we, we get, I mean, it's pretty much at the end of the movie, you know, when they suck the alien hybrid out that, that hole in the wall, uh, they just kind of, they're getting ready to land on Earth and... You know, Ripley just after a good timing with the self-destruct happening just seconds within safety, 
you know, they, they drop, the, the explosion happens on Earth. It looks like a big A-bomb going off. They kind of look over Earth and like, oh, it's so beautiful. I've never seen it before. What are we going to do? And she's, I, I do like the line, how it ends off, where she says, I don't know. I'm a stranger here myself. Right. Yeah, I like now, I like that, too. The original she hasn't ending. been there for, you know, 200 plus years. <laughs> yeah, I mean... And before, between Alien 1 and Alien 2, I think there was a somewhat of a 50, 55-year gap that she was in cryostasis. So it's been at least, you know, with the time that has passed, damn near 300 years since she's been to Earth. So, you know, any family, any friends she's had have been long gone for generations, you know. And so it, it would be like waking up on a different world. The alternate ending where they actually do land and the world is just, it looks like a junkyard. It looks post-apocalyptic. And you can see the Eiffel Tower in the background is leaning over and broken half off. It has a very uh, original Planet of the Apes kind of vibe okay. to it going yeah. on. And, yeah, and it basically ends the same way. I mean, she's like, you know, a little bit extra dialogue where Call says, you know, the military is probably going to be here any minute. You know, we could disappear if you wanted to. And she's like, well, you know, she's like... She's like, what do you think we ought to do? And she says the same line, you know, I'm a stranger here myself. I, I feel like that ending would have leveled up the movie a little bit instead of just kind of ending abruptly after blowing the alien out the hatch, <laughs> you know. But then again, there's a reason why they cut some of that stuff out. I feel like a lot of the extra bits and bobs of dialogue, even the references to Newt uh, that happened, it happened twice, you know, uh, the alternate opening with the alien fly is really badly done CGI. I mean, like some of the worst I've, <laughs> I've ever I've ever seen. Uh -huh. uh, if you if you don't have access to the the special edition, you can find the scenes on YouTube. I I definitely suggest watching them as okay. if anything, just as an oddity. Right. But like we were talking, like with Terminator Two, you know, uh, several weeks back, there's a reason why they cut that kind of stuff out. It's timing, it's pacing, and it's just. It, Again, most of the stuff they cut out, other than that extended ending, felt very superfluous. It just didn't feel like it very, like it, like it, like it belonged, you know. But that being said, we have summed up this movie in 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 many ways. I think uh, I really don't know if I have a, a version that I like better between the theatrical and the special edition. I think the theatrical it runs about eight or nine minutes shorter, and other than the 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 alternate, the extended ending, there's really nothing in that special edition that I'm just like, ooh, I really wish they would have kept that in. So I, I really think a theatrical edition is superior here. Uh, but that being said, let's go ahead and get off into our final thoughts and, and ratings. You know how we do things around here. We uh, do a uh, rating on a scale from 1 to 10, so go right right on ahead. Uh, <laughs> it's hard to rate. Um Cause like I enjoy it, but I, but it's not good. <laughs> um, I it's would fun, probably, but it's not good. <laughs> I would probably give it like, I don't know, like a, like a, like a 5.9 <laughs> like just that's the, that's the first five that's the first point nine that we've had on this show so you are at first sir 
<laughs> like, like I don't want to give it a six. Like if you're going Rotten Tomatoes, you know, like a six is is still certified fresh. I think I don't think it's I don't think it's quite certified fresh, uh, but it's not uh, you know the worst thing I've ever seen either. I still the nostalgic side of me I think is what enjoys it more than anything. Um, uh, you know, and it's it's fun. It's a it's a good it's a good bad movie I guess. I, uh, you know. Yeah. I would agree. I would agree with you. My my rating that I had written down was six, so we're literally a, a point one <laughs> apart. You know, like uh, I feel like anything a, a five and under I can't recommend, even as a bad movie. You know, if you love bad movies and just want something fun to watch, yeah, I, I got at least give it a six. Um, I would give like Alien Three a five. Or, yeah, for know, sure. Because it's just this. There's certain movies that are just a chore to get through, and Alien Three is a chore, but still, Alien Resurrection to me is a much more fun movie. Like, and I think there is also, as you said, there's uh, some nostalgia factor that come into this. You know, I remember seeing it at the drive-in. It was a fun time, and it was it was the return of aliens after you know being away for what five six years. You know, right. and. And it had a whole bunch of people that I loved in it. You know, it's got Ron Perlman, Brad Dorif, I even look like you know, Michael Wincott, Winona Ryder. And and it, it does have a really, really good performance by Sigourney Weaver. I think it's, the, like I said, it's it, it's, a, it's a fun, bad movie. It's not a fun, good movie. It's just, it, it makes me wish they would have picked a theme or a thematic quality and just stuck with it. Right. You know, is this like it just didn't know if it wanted to be kind of tongue in cheek parody. It didn't know if it wanted to be body horror or action or sci fi horror. It was just a, you know, I like a good blender movie that's a good mixture of genres when the, the, the genre mixing is even. But this is not very even. It, but still, I, I got to recommend it. If you, if you want a good time, a good popcorn movie, a good party movie to watch for your friends to point out and go, what the fuck did I just see? <laughs> I, I highly recommend Alien Resurrection. But that being said, uh, I think we can put a pin in this one for the afternoon. But that being said, I think we'll put a pin in this one for the, the afternoon. I've been your host, Cameron Scott, and this has been my co-host, uh, Tony Walters. And you have been listening to us review and dissect Alien Resurrection here on Sequel 2 Deja Vu. Thanks for listening. Does it grow? Very rapidly. It's a queen. How did you know that? She'll breed. You'll die. 